This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, March 3rd. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Ukrainians and Russians in Telluride reflect on war. Home is where the parking is. Why Scott Yates wants to represent the 3rd Congressional District. And a mountain weather forecast. For a lot of people in the Telluride region, the Russian invasion of Ukraine might feel like a distant news story. But for Lena Demura, it's personal. So I have two aunts, I have two grandmas, I have my cousins, I have a lot of my friends that I grew up with. They're still in Ukraine. Demira was born in Ukraine and has lived in the Telluride area for a little over a decade. As recently as late February, she was planning to visit her family over off-season. But then things shifted. I came to work and I called my sister just to check on her just because of her things were escalating in my country. And I just wanted to see how she's doing, how she's coping, how she's feeling. And it was the first time that I actually heard a fear in her voice that she felt like she was alone because I wasn't there. My parents weren't there. Although she lived in the neighborhood with my aunts and my grandmas, like she wasn't physically alone or technically alone, but that's this is how she felt. And then, um, so that was a little hard. And then I, <laughs> sorry, I called my aunt and she was just, she was telling me that I'm probably not going to see them anytime soon. And it was, she was, she was scared for her life and she wasn't sure whether they will be able to make a life after this conflict. And things haven't even started. That was shortly before Russian troops entered the country. Her sister, she says, managed to get out on a train and meet up with her parents in Prague. But her other family members are still in Ukraine, praying, she says, they won't be hit by a missile. Demure also knows people fighting to protect the country. My uncle right now, he's currently just protecting the major plant in my city. He's doing like... I think 12-hour shifts, so he's not necessarily in the front line. But I do have a friend in the trenches right now in Kiev. Other locals also have connections to the conflict. Victoria Petrova was born in Ukraine and moved to Russia when she was two. Her father is Russian and her mother is Ukrainian. She came to Telluride about two years ago after marrying her wife, who she met in Moscow. She was teaching English, and I was learning English, so... <laughs> Petrova says she couldn't believe a war would happen until the last minute when Russia invaded Ukraine. They're literally trying to ask, fight like brother against brother, you know, and it's crazy. Petrova has families in both countries. She's against the war, but says one of her cousins in Russia isn't. She thinks like Ukrainians are lying about war. She doesn't believe it. But again, she's one of those people who's watching TV and believes that Putin is right. So I have like one side of the family is like trusting Putin and another side of the family who's like escaping from Ukraine because it's a hell there, you know, so it's kind of, it's weird. Another Telluride local who moved to the area from Russia has concerns about loved ones still in the country and asked to remain anonymous. So I'll call them Sam. Sam is against the war and says they see similarities with Germany's invasion of Poland in 1939. Most of the people they're in touch with in Russia are also against the war, but some people close to them they know are for it. 
Sam decided to watch some Russian TV news to see what those people are seeing. They say, quote, Honestly, it was incredible. It was a level of German Joseph Goebbels propaganda, referring to the Nazi minister of propaganda. They say the coverage is mostly old recordings out of context. Sam explains they're ashamed to have a Russian passport, but adds they feel this is not the people of Russia's war. Rather, it's the war of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Petrova says she feels hate from people for her being Russian, even though she was born in Ukraine and is against the war. Even like my mom was telling me, like, Vika, please don't tell anybody that you're Russian because like it can be scary. For Petrova, being in Telluride while all this is happening is hard. I don't know how to help people here in Telluride. Like I know like lots of Ukrainian gets really angry of like reposting something and like it doesn't help much, all this repost and like, yes, we support, we stand for Ukraine. It doesn't help because it's just like social media. But I just feel a little bit helpless. I feel safe because nothing's happening here, but I feel helpless that I, I can't help. For Demura, it's also hard being in Telluride right now. I would rather be there in the middle of this thing and try to contribute my time to the military or protect the wounded or help them. And just sitting over here and not knowing to what my family's going to wake up the next day. A lot of people say Telluride, isolated in the San Juan Mountains, is a bubble. But in our increasingly interconnected world, nowhere is truly a bubble. In summer, Telluride's town park is home to music festivals, softball games, lazy days in the sun. Winter brings a sledding hill, Nordic skiing, and this year, housing. All right, so we're in um, the town park parking lot. This is my bus. I call it Just Some Bus. That's Simon Perkovich. This winter, he's living in his bus in town park's parking lot, although he sees his bus as much more than a home. It has a deck that folds down to be a like a, a performing platform. It's painted with chalkboard paint, so you can draw on any surface of it. It's uh, meant to be like a kind of perfect COVID mobile. Like you could um, drive it to a cul-de-sac and set up a show and, um, you know, do theater while we can't gather indoors. Perkovich is living in Town Park as part of a pilot program to provide RV housing for the winter. The town of Telluride is providing nine parking spaces for residents to live in their trailer, mobile home, RV, or vehicle. Telluride Town Council member Dan Enright helped push the program forward. He first heard the idea before he was on council and a member of the Planning and Zoning Commission. This was the one that really uh, caught my attention and felt uh, the most immediately accessible, the most uh, available to be able to uh, bring housing this season. Enright notes the town of Telluride has other housing projects in the works, but those are months, if not years, down the road. Telluride Town Council approved the program for this winter last fall, with tenants moving in mid-November. This winter, the program is housing 12 individuals, paying $300 per month in rent. Walk inside, and just some bus is a modest affair. So it's pretty simple in here. I built most of it. Uh, it's pretty much just a bed and some storage boxes, some shelving. Um, the town park gives us uh, electrical outlets, so I've got two heaters running. That's how it keeps warm in the winter. Um, you know, this close to the San Miguel and the Bear Creek. 
Um, and yeah, uh, you know, uh, simple stuff. It's just uh, has insulation and paneling. Um, wood floors, nothing too fancy. Perkovich uses a camping stove for cooking, although working at a restaurant also provides a lot of his meals. He uses sinks provided by the town to wash up. So far, Perkovich says the situation has been great. It has been awesome. Um, it's the best form of employee housing I could think of. Um, as far as like affordability, uh, through like like after one month of working here, I saved up enough to pay off my whole season here. That I I've net that's something I would never have dreamed of in Telluride. Perkovich was born and raised in Telluride. He bought his bus at the beginning of COVID, built it out, and drove it to Pittsburgh, where he was finishing university. He graduated, and home was calling. It's kind of linked to the Lord of the Rings. I say that hobbits always return to the Shire. I see it happen to all my friends. We all went to Boulder, and we all come back. He says the housing in Town Park hit at just the right moment. I was figuring I would um, park this back in Norwood and kind of do a little half Telluride, half Norwood gig. But, um... Uh, when I graduated, it just so happened that Telluride was doing the acceptance of uh, RVs in Town Park. And I thought, since I've been living in an RV, I really should capitalize on that. Both Enright and Perkovich acknowledge allowing RVs or buses to stay in Town Park isn't the silver bullet to housing in the community. They add, in essence, it's legalizing what some are already doing. It's a good stab at community housing, at employee housing. Um... I do know a lot of friends who are interested in this kind of thing and have, you know, um, even have rigs, but uh, reserve it for camping and other such stuff because it's kind of it's somewhat illegal to sleep in a car. Enright adds it's a sign of the time for the region. It speaks to the the, the needs of our community that we'd, we'd even consider something so uh, outside the norm uh, to address our, our housing crisis. Come April, the individuals living in Town Park will be headed down the road in search of the next housing opportunity. The housing crisis will not disappear. But for the moment, snuggled up against the San Miguel River, a line of RVs, buses, and vans called Town Park home. Colorado's primary elections are less than four months away. One increasingly crowded race is for the representative for the 3rd Congressional District, currently held by Lauren Boebert. Several Democrats are lining up to try to unseat the Republican representative. KOTO spoke with one of them, Scott Yates. Now, Scott, this is actually your first run for office. Why are you starting off with a run for Congress? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's my first run for anything. Uh, I've always been interested in politics, and I never thought... There would be any kind of opportunity for me to do anything, well, basically where I could win. When uh, Kerry Donovan dropped out of this race uh, uh, last year, I thought, wow, that's my home district. I, I was actually born in Glenwood Springs and used to work in Durango and spent a lot of time in Junction. And I live in Pueblo now. When I heard about her dropping out, I thought, you know what? I wonder if this would be an opportunity for me to run the kind of race that I would like to run, which is not about politics and just about being sort of relentlessly positive and just talk about things that we can actually fix and things that we can do. And if I could do that, then I should try it. And so I'm, I've decided to get in and try it. 
Well, your background, by and large, is is not in politics. As you said, you haven't actually run for any office in the past. You really have a background in journalism and a lot in startups, starting a couple of startups. Right. Um, what are the skills you feel that gives you that you think could help you be a good leader for our region? The being a reporter part really just taught me respect for people, no matter what their sort of walk of life is. When you're a reporter, you just spend a lot of time with just people from you know every kind of walk of life and every situation. And and a lot of your preconceptions about people kind of fall away when you get under the surface a little bit. Um, on the startup side, all of my startups were designed to fix a problem that wasn't being fixed and needed a solution. And so I came up with a solution and then the solution worked out. My first business, I saw an issue that was not addressed came up with a solution, got a patent on it, then built the business and then ended up selling it. But it solved a thing that really needed solving at the time. If you were to win this primary and ultimately win this seat and go to the House of Representatives, it's a busy, crowded place. You'd, in theory, only have two years in this term. Um, so you wouldn't have much time also. Um, so you'd probably have to prioritize. And I'm curious, what are the the top three issues you're really going to push for if you do go to Congress that you think would benefit the the 3rd District? What are your priorities? My first issue is fixing daylight saving time which uh, is definitely not a traditional political issue that a lot of people run for. But, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've said, just talking to people on the street, I say, hey, I'm going to be the one that's going to fix daylight saving time. And I like, I get high fives, I get amens, I get thank you, like finally. People with small kids, of course, are really really impacted. A lot of uh, farmers, ranchers especially, like they're thrown off completely by it. So it's a non-traditional issue, but I think it's a kind of an example of an issue that can be fixed. It's fixable and it's not fixed. And why not? Well, why not is because most of the politicians care so much about just the political theater and not about actually fixing stuff. Uh, For me, water is, it's not lower than daylight saving time. It's like an all-encompassing priority. I actually wrote a book about water. I know how important it is. I know that climate change is real. We have to figure out the realities with this lower amount of water that we have you can be sure that I will be the most aggressive. And yet, most um, some of these negotiations are subtle. Issues that may not seem like big headline-grabbing issues are the ones that actually really matter the most. And so having a full understanding of those and then being able to negotiate super aggressively on those. The third district is pretty unique in that it's enormous, about half the state pretty much. You're getting a lot of Colorado here. Um, and it's also super diverse in terms of ski towns and agricultural communities and a couple of, of cities. So why do you think you have the skills and, and the background, really, to represent such a diverse group of people? You're right about the diversity. We have four of the top five counties in the state for median income, and we have four of the bottom five counties in the state for median income. We have three national parks and two of the biggest Indian reservations in the country and huge swaths of national forest and national grasslands and BLM land and zero Costco's. So I think it's just because I have such an appreciation for it that I honor the lives that are lived here. I, you know, the people that have in the Valley that have been there for sometimes nine, 10, 11 generations, like that needs to be honored and respected. And the people in the reservations need great respect, but I, you know, I'm not mad at people that move into the district. We do need to work on uh, making sure we've got good broadband all over the district so that, you know, somebody can move into like in the San Luis Valley and, operate the kind of life that they want to live with Zoom calls and all the rest. So there's a lot to work to do there. Well, as a radio station, we don't just deal with news. We also deal with music. And I imagine campaigning across the third district, you're doing a lot of driving, probably listening to a lot of music. So I'm going to close out (laughs) by asking, what is your favorite song to listen to on long campaign road trips? 
because of my daylight saving time thing, it would be here comes the sun, do 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 do. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. Do, 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 do. Scott Yates is a Democrat running for Colorado's third congressional district. Scott, thank you so much for taking some time and chatting. Uh, happy to, happy, uh, and and look forward to many trips to Telluride to meet people in person. Colorado's primary elections will be on Tuesday, June 28th. The general election will be on Tuesday, November 8th. Two years into the pandemic, home tests have become a key element for San Miguel and the U.S.'s COVID response. Tests have been hard to find and expensive. The federal government mailed tests to residents, and now the Wilkinson Public Library is stepping in. The library is providing at-home COVID tests to the community, courtesy of the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Rapid at-home COVID tests are available at the library on a first-come, first-serve basis. Looking for live music this weekend? Well, there's a ton to choose from. On Friday, the Kevin McCarthy Trio is at Heritage Plaza from 12 to 4 p.m., Andy Jones is at the Peaks from 3 to 6. Disco Fuego is collaborating with KOTO and Gay Ski Week for a special concert at the Transfer Warehouse from 5 to 7 p.m. The Gold Kings are at the Phoenix Bean from 6 to 8. And the Petty Breakers are playing the Sheridan Opera House from 9 to 11.30 p.m. On Saturday, Shayna Alverson is at Heritage Plaza from noon to 4. And Trico is playing the Transfer Warehouse from 3.30 to 5.30 Sunday, Donovan Daly is at Heritage Plaza from noon to 4. Lavalanche is playing the Transfer Warehouse from 3.30 to 5.30. And Future Birds is at the Sheridan Opera House from 9 to 11.30 p.m. Looking for more information on local live music? Check out Koto's live music calendar at koto.org. Colorado lawmakers say they will make Juneteenth a state holiday starting this year. It celebrates the date in 1865 when Union troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, to tell hundreds of thousands of enslaved people they were free. State Representative Leslie Harrod leads the Black Caucus at the Capitol. She says Coloradans should use it to reflect on the meaning of liberation. But additionally, I want folks to celebrate the rich culture of Black people right here in Colorado and throughout this nation. We are an integral part of the fabric of America. Governor Jared Polis says he will approve the new holiday, and lawmakers have already agreed to fund it. Congress made Juneteenth a federal holiday last year. Colorado lawmakers are not seeing eye-to-eye on a proposal aimed at making neighborhoods safer. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. Democrats want to give cities and towns $10 million to install new streetlights and other safety features in their neighborhoods. Supporter Megan McKillop is with the Colorado Municipal League. This bill would help our cities and towns create safer environments for the people who live there. Republicans are skeptical. Senator Barbara Kirkmeyer of Weld County says cities should pay for the projects themselves. I mean, they have planning departments. They have law enforcement departments. They, they already have all this in place. Other Republicans are questioning whether new streetlights will stop car thefts and other crimes. Lawmakers are debating other public safety bills, including one to help police departments recruit new officers. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. 
The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees. There's a 40% chance of snow showers. Friday, expect partly sunny skies with a high in the mid-40s and snow showers after 11 a.m. and wind gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Less than one inch of snow accumulation is possible. Friday night calls for snow showers with a low around 20 degrees. Two to four inches of new snow accumulation is possible. Saturday expects snow showers with a high around freezing. Saturday night calls for snow showers with a low in the mid-teens. This has been the news for Thursday, March 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.